Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you again. Um, we miss you, of course, and we're, we wish that you could be right here with us. We have a handful of people here with us uh, recording the service, as we always do, so we could bring it to your living room. And the good news is, is that during these difficult times, Jesus Christ continues to be our hope. He continues to be our focus, and we pray that you're focused on Jesus where you're at. And also, we always have to understand that whether we meet here in a building or whether we meet online and you guys are in your home, Jesus is the founder of the church. He's the one who started this whole thing. And as founder, he promised us that when two or three meet together, that he is there in our midst. And so we know that he's right there with you. He's here with us. And we're praying for you always. We love you and we miss you. But I want you, if you if just start with me before we jump into this thing this morning, if we could, I'd just like to pray with you. And let's pray together and just invite the presence of the Lord this morning. Father, we're so grateful uh, God, for who you are to us, even in the midst of crisis, in the midst of difficult circumstance, in the midst of radical changes in our life. And a lot of times, Lord, when we don't even know what's going on, we can always trust you and know that you are good, God, and you are working all things together for good for those who love you and are the called according to your purpose. And so, Lord, just over these next few minutes as we open your word, I pray that you would give us a fresh revelation of who you are, God. And Jesus, would you let us see you? Would you open your word to us in our homes? Uh, God, even the children that are listening this morning, I pray that it would just become simple to them, Lord, and that every person, Lord, would just be able to hear and understand the gospel, the good news, Lord, the message that you bring this morning. And Lord, we pray that hearts, would, would, that our hearts, God, would turn to you, but Lord, also there, that somebody is listening to this and they don't know you, Jesus, that their hearts would turn to you, God, that you would just in, invade our homes and our families, Lord Jesus, and that we would have an encounter with you. And so, Lord, we thank, thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for your word. We ask you to change us by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the week that we, we get ready to celebrate. Really, it's the, it's the most important week probably that you, it is the most important week in Christianity. It's, the, it's Holy Week. We get ready for Easter and Easter's always exciting because you start planning. We were talking about how many people, you know, we, we were going to expect to come in on Easter. We love that, man. And I'm disappointed that we, uh, that we don't get to, to see that probably next week again. We'll be, we'll be meeting online. But, but regardless of, of where we meet, we get to celebrate Jesus. And we get to celebrate the fact that he died for our sins on the cross. We're celebrating his crucifixion on Good Friday. And then next Sunday, we will be celebrating his resurrection from the dead. So it's exciting times. And and I think, especially in the times that we are in when we're dealing with the things that we're dealing with, the most important thing is that with all the news that we're trying to sift through, that we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And this week, most specifically, it would be wonderful to tune out, to read the scriptures about the cross and, and to read the scriptures about Jesus' resurrection and the hope of new life that he brings. We want to make sure that our eyes are focusing on that. Now, during this week, here's, here's one of the things as I'm reading through some of these scriptures this week and I'm thinking about what we're dealing with, what we're going through in our world today. It's interesting to note that as we celebrate the crucifixion of Jesus, what we got to understand is that when he was crucified, that was his coronation as king. When he was crucified, they actually put a sign over his head that said king of the Jews. And of course, he had a crown upon his head and it's, he turns everything upside down because when a king is, is coronated as king, it's, it's an honorable thing. But for Jesus Christ, it became the most dishonorable thing. And we're talking about his coronation as king. And, and I, was, I was talking to some other people earlier, but 
what we're dealing with is called the coronavirus, okay? That's what's breaking out all over the world. There's not a human being on the globe right now that has not heard that name, coronavirus, and been affected by it and uh, dealt with fear over it. But the word corona, it literally means crown. And if you look at the protein of the virus, they show pictures of it. The CDC shows pictures of it. And what you'll see is there's crowns all around this virus. And, and that's where we get the word coronation from. We call it, when you go to your coronation, they're crowning somebody as king. We get that from the word corona, which means crown. And I, I, I thought about that. I thought that's so interesting because the, the crown is about authority. It's about it's about kingship. And it's almost as if this thing, this coronavirus, is trying to become a new authority in our world. It's making all of our decisions for us. It's putting pressure on us. It's instilling fear in our life. And it has become a chief authority in our world right now. And it has become a new power. And every, every report that we receive right now, at the 5 o'clock news with Andy, and if we turn it on Fox News, every report that we receive is really instilling in, instilling in us more anxiety a lot of times and, and more fear. And, and even though it feels like to some degree we have some control, it feels like, okay, you know what? Well, they're shutting down the churches, but we can still video camera we can still send something out the truth is a lot of a lot of control has been taken from us and 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 we're in this place where to be honest with you we got to have something more than just positive thoughts we got to have something more than just positive thinking or, or or anything like that we have to have a hope that goes beyond this world we have got to focus on Jesus Christ and, and we need to see that and I think during this next week especially in this time we can think about the cross more carefully. We can think about how, how life is in our world more carefully and discern what we're dealing with. And ultimately, we're, we're, we're looking at a crown that is much greater than the crown of the coronavirus. And I want to I focus on that this morning. I want to preach to you about the crown and the cross. The crown and the cross. And Augustine actually said this. He said that hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. And I, th I think for a lot of us, things like this, crises like this that bring death, that bring affliction, that bring fear, uh, whenever we feel that loss or that hopelessness, Augustine said that hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. And I think there's a righteous anger because a lot of us, we're, we're upset about the fact that we don't get to do the things that we do. We're upset that people are, are suffering, that people are dying. And we think to ourselves, God, this should not be. And there's a righteous anger. And I can promise you this, that God is hurting more and weeping more over the people that are afflicted than you and I are. This is not something that he celebrates by any means. When Jesus saw pain and suffering, he wept. He felt what we felt. He entered into our pain. He did not distance himself from it. And he was never happy with human suffering. He was always interested in, in human beings and the pain and the misery that they're going through and, and working to alleviate that as much as possible. But he said that. He said that there's an anger with it, but there's also courage. And I think rather than getting too angry over the things that are going on, we need to be courageous during this time. And we need to look for the hope that Jesus Christ brings and be courageous enough to speak the good news into these situations. Do not allow yourself to be overwhelmed by fear, but look to a hope that goes far beyond any circumstances of this world. And we can only, folks, find that in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so this pandemic, it's going to pass, but the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is going to last forever. And that's what we've got to focus our eyes on. See, this crown that we're talking about, this corona, it's a virus that is causing a crisis in the world. It, it, it is a crown of crisis. And that's what it is. But I want you to understand that there was also a cross of crisis that 
the, the Easter story, the crucifixion of Jesus and, and all of that, that was, that was a crisis that was going on in the world. And see, Jesus wore a crown that ultimately defeats this crown of corona that we are now dealing with. And I want to speak directly into that because I, I believe that Jesus has alleviated so many of the things that we suffer in this world and He's dealt with them a final blow on the cross and we have to come to an understanding of what that means for us as Christians. But see, it's a very strange, it's a very strange kingdom that we live in because when we talk about Jesus' victory, sometimes it doesn't feel like we're living in victory. Sometimes it feels like the world is chaotic and everything is crazy. But I want you to rest assured that the crown of Corona has been triumphed by the crown that Jesus Christ wore, that crown of thorns that he wore on his head. And it embeds the promise of John chapter 10 into our hearts that says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. While the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, you can always put your hope and trust in me and know that I'm working good in this situation. I mean to bring about good in it. But see, the kingdom sometimes is an upside-down kingdom. A guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was uh, martyred by the Nazis... He said, a king who dies on the cross must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. And I would agree with that. A king who dies on a cross as his coronation as king must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. Things are different, and we don't fully understand the way that the kingdom works sometimes. But, but I'll tell you one of the ways that I believe the kingdom works. One of the ways that I believe that it works, I watched a, a news article, I read a news article earlier this week, and there was a guy named Father Berardelli, and he was from Italy. He was a 72-year-old man. He was a, a, a priest. And he had contracted the coronavirus. He was an older man. And his, his parishioners were so worried about him, they loved him so much, they bought him a ventilator, brought him the ventilator. And when he realized that there were other people in need that were younger than him, that needed the ventilator, he decided to give up his ventilator to a younger man who was dealing with the coronavirus. And he ended up dying to the, to the coronavirus. But see, when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's not always as triumphant as it looks. The cross did not look triumphant. On the outside, it looked like loss. It looked like it was horrifying. It was, it was a, 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 a hopelessness uh, entered into the hearts of the disciples that were watching it. But see, Jesus was revealing that the greatest power in the world is not dominating violent force. The greatest power in the world is self-sacrificial love. And that's what the upside-down kingdom reveals is that sometimes our greatest victories are in loss. Sometimes our greatest victories are in death because we don't have a God that just, that just died. But see, on the other end of loss and suffering is resurrection life, and that's what Jesus begins to teach us. But see, it's a strange kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. And the miracle of Good Friday when Jesus Christ was crucified is that the cross and the crown are not enemies. The cross of Jesus, his pain and suffering, and the crown of his kingship are not enemies. Matter of fact, they are weaved in together because Jesus turns every cross of every kind into a pathway to glory. And what I mean by that is that you've got some crosses that you're bearing right now. You may have financial difficulties. You may be dealing with sickness. You may be dealing with fear. But no matter what cross you carry in this life, I promise you that God will reveal glory in it that is far surpasses any kind of suffering that you can deal with in this life, and ultimately it will lead to a crown of your own when you see him face to face. 
The sufferings that we're going through now, they're not worthy to be revealed with the glory that God will bring in us. And see, Jesus Christ, one of the things that's so interesting about what Christianity means is that Jesus Christ didn't stand away from our suffering. He entered into our pain and suffering to redeem us from that pain and suffering. He didn't distance himself, but he entered into it. I, I, I quoted a, a song last week. I want to quote it again because it's been in my mind over and over again. But John Mark McMillan, he, he said in a song, he said, he, he made this quote, he, he sung these lyrics. He said, I don't have the answers for hurricanes or cancers, but a Savior who suffers them with me. And then he goes on to say, and he talks about other gods. He said, Aphrodite would not weep, nor Zeus suffer for the weak, but have you, Jesus, come to stand inside my pain. We don't have a God that's afar off. We don't have a God that doesn't weep over us or is careless about us. But in the cross, he reveals that he saw us in our suffering. He saw us in our pain. And he chose willfully to come and enter into that pain with us in order to redeem, it, redeem us from it. And sin, death, and destruction have been conquered in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he has given us eternal life. And here's what I want you to understand is that right now I believe demonic principalities. I believe that in this coronavirus outbreak, I believe, I believe that God has a purpose for it, but I believe Satan also has a purpose for it. And he's trying to get people to live in fear, to live in worry, to maybe even get bitter against God and what's going on in the world. But in the same time, God is trying to get people's attention and say, listen, you cannot wrap your heart up in this world. This world as it is is broken. It is falling. Sin and death is running amok. And you've got to turn your heart to me because that's the only place that you are going to find hope. But this demonic principality, this coronavirus, this new authority... These principalities are trying to use this to establish authority through fear over humanity. And what you need to understand is that there is a greater authority. His name is Jesus Christ. He defeated principalities and powers on the cross. And as Christian people, we enforce that victory in our lives to cast out that fear and remind these enemies that they have been defeated on the cross of Jesus. And that's what we do as Christians. We remind the enemy that... On the cross of Calvary, Jesus was coronated King and Lord of all, and He paid a high price for our salvation and for our redemption and for our freedom. And there's a freedom that is only found in, in the cross of Jesus Christ. The Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. There is a power of God that is contained in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. And listen, when people first saw that, they said, this is foolishness. How is it that God, you're telling me that God came and God was murdered and crucified and y'all are calling him God. To the world, it was foolishness. It didn't make any sense. There was no power released in it. But to those of us who are being saved and understanding the salvation of Jesus Christ, we realize that the power of God is actually tied up in the cross cross. The message of the cross is where the power of God is released. And that's what I want to speak about. I want to speak like again about the crown and about the cross because Jesus did everything for a purpose. And what he went through that night that he was crucified, the night he was betrayed and he was going to his crucifixion on Good Friday, everything that he went through was for a purpose. It was a part of our redemption. It was a part of our salvation. It was a part of our healing. And it was all for a specific purpose. Now we discussed last week that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was eating the Passover meal. And it was symbolic of the fact that they applied the blood to the doorposts. In the Old Testament, he was eating the, the Passover meal with his, with his disciples. And Judas went that night to betray him. And he, 
sat at Jesus' feet, and Jesus had washed his feet that night. And Judas goes to the, to the chief priest, and he sells Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. And during that time, while Judas is betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Jesus begins to feel the weight of our sin. He begins to feel the weight of what's coming upon him. And he takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he begins to pray. And three times he prays, and he begins to sweat great drops of blood because of the pressure that's coming upon him. At that moment, God is beginning to lay the weight of our sin and our curse upon him, and he's feeling the entire sin of the world, the weight of the world upon him, and he realizes that he's about to be separated from God. God is about to release his divine protection and hand him over to the evil forces of the world because he had operated as a flawless human being under the divine protection, and nobody could touch him, but in that moment, the Father was handing him over for us, and Jesus was going to lay down his life, but he had to pray as he's going through this. And I'll tell you something, when you're going through something like that and you have a challenging situation and you're trying to find strength, the best thing you can do is get into a place where you begin to pray and seek God the way that Jesus did. Jesus even asked his disciples to pray with him. He said, can you not watch with me one hour? Pray with me. He said, my soul is troubled. You need to understand that even Jesus had a troubled soul. Even Jesus went through a time when he wondered what was going to go on, when he was dealing with anxious thoughts, when he was fearful, when he was asking God to take this cup from him, when he was saying, God, I don't want to have to go through with this. But he knew that ultimately the Father's will need to be done because the Father knows things that you and I don't know. And he will allow things to happen because he's more wise than you and I. And he will allow certain things to happen. And as Jesus is going through that, I want you to understand something else is that Jesus wasn't just killed. He laid down his life voluntarily. When the soldiers came in to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus stood up on his feet after he had sweat great drops of blood and new power he had received from his father through prayer. And he stands up and he says, I am. And the scripture says in John when he said, I am, that they drew back and they fell down on their faces. In other words, he's saying, you can't really touch the I am. I created you and everything that you see here. But at the end of the day, I'm laying down my life. And he was demonstrating that I have all power, I have all authority, but my power and authority is not exercised in the fact that I could wipe you out in this moment and violently bring an end to you. My power and my authority is exercised in the fact that I will lay down my life because I even love the ones that are going to arrest me and take me to my death. And see, they brought him, and as they brought him, he, his arrest would go through six trials over the night from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. He would go through six different trials. He would go from Annas to Caiaphas to the Sanhedrin to Pilate to Herod back to Pilate between 9 p.m. and 6 p.m. And the purpose was they're trying to find something to accuse him of lawfully so they can bring an end to his life. They want to find something. And guess what? Jesus was perfect. It's hard to accuse and find something that a sinless man has done in order to execute him. But see, they kept searching. They even got people to perjure themselves and lie against him. But finally, they found something because the high priest comes to him. And they found something that he was guilty of. In Matthew 26, 63, it says, But Jesus kept silent during this time, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And here's what the good news is, is that he was the Christ, the Son of God. And what Christ means is it's a word that means the 
anointed one, the chosen one. It means that he's the only one that could set you free from your sin. It means that he's the only one who can break the bondage off of your life. He's the only one that can bring healing and deliverance into your life. He's the only one that can put joy in your heart and set your feet on a new path and give you new life. He is the anointed one. And when they're asking him that question, they're basically saying, are you the one that God promised would come and bring healing to all the world? Are you the one that promised that he would set us free from the bondage and the pain and all the sickness and all the death? Are you that one? See, Jesus, he was the anointed one. He was the Christ. He's not just a good man. You have to deal with that at some point in your heart because so many people, they believe, well, I just don't know if Jesus is God. I mean, he's a good guy. No, Jesus was either God or he was a liar or he was a lunatic. You have to settle it in your heart that he's one of those three. And if he's God, if you're not going to call him a liar and you're not going to call him a lunatic, then you better bow down and worship him because he is who he says he is. He's the God of all creation. In Matthew 26, verse 64 through 68, Jesus responded to this question. He said, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? And as soon as they get done questioning him and beating him and mocking him, they send him off to the most excruciating execution in human history. And it's so interesting to me that Jesus could have chosen any time to redeem the world, but he chose to redeem the world in a time where execution, if he had came in our time, I mean, worst case scenario, he gets death by lethal injection. There's no suffering, there's no pain that goes on with that. He might have gotten an electric chair, but he chose to come into it in a time when crucifixion, which was the most painful of all deaths, it was designed to torture. It was designed to make people afraid. It was designed to inflict such pain that people would be afraid of those in authority over him. And he chose to come at a time when that was the death they would have to suffer. And that's what I want to talk to you specifically about is, is, the, is the cross here. Because something happened on the cross that we've got to understand. And 800 years before the cross even happened, and Jesus hung there for you and I, Isaiah prophesied exactly what he would go through for us. Isaiah saw it in, in a vision. And he prophesied of what Jesus would go through as our suffering Savior on the cross. Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 5. This is a familiar passage, but it never gets old. It said, He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs. That word grief, so you can look it up, it's actually sickness. And carried our sorrows, and that word is literally pain in the Hebrew language. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, I want to tell you a few things that happened on the cross. The first thing that I want to tell you, if, you've got, if you're taking notes, is that Jesus was scourged. For our healing. Jesus was scourged for our healing. See, they sent Jesus off 
early that Friday morning after he had been before Pilate and the others. And as they sent him off to his death, the first step was the scourging. And what they would do is they would take what was called a cat of nine tails. It was essentially a, a leather whip that had all sorts of strands in it. And they would take horse hair and take uh, pieces of bone and metal and other sharp objects and tie it into this leather whip. Then they would soak the leather whip so that when they hit the back of the person, it would actually embed into their flesh so that they could tear away their flesh. And it was designed that would hit them 39 times tearing through their flesh. They would do 13 on one upper shoulder. They would do 13 on the other upper, upper shoulder. And they would do 13 down the center of the back. And the reason they did 39 is because they believed that 40 was, was an execution. They believed that 40 was too many. And really Really, most people would die from the scourging itself. It would kill them. It would open them up in the back. They would bleed out, and they would not be able to make it through that. And see, the beautiful thing about this scripture is that we just read it says that by his stripes we are healed. Every stripe that Jesus took on his back was a disease, was a sickness, was some kind of an infirmity that came against humanity, that has been an attack on humanity and has been under the law of sin and death that Jesus came to redeem us from. Every stripe was healing. And here's, I believe with all of my heart, even in moments like these, I think sometimes whenever sickness is running rampant, that's when we need to confess that Jesus is healer all the more. And as, as a Christian church, we are called to pray for the sick. We are called to believe for healing. We are called to press in for healing. And you say, but yeah, but not everybody gets healed, Clay. And, and I would say, you know what? I beg to differ. Even though God doesn't heal everybody in this life, and I don't have, the, I don't have a clue why it doesn't always happen, but here's what I know, that, is that Jesus is healer. He continues to heal. He will always continue to heal. And if we are not healed in this life, we will be healed in the next life. But just because we see some people not healed does not mean that we as Christians stop believing that Jesus Christ remains to be the healer. And, and, and we never stop believing that he made the payment for your healing, for our healing, for the healing of the world. We must believe that. First Peter 2.24, he puts it in past tense. He said, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. He's saying, you know what? The payment for your healing has already been purchased. There's nothing anymore that you have to do except receive it by faith. The same Jesus Christ. Listen, we're talking about Jesus when he came in to a lame man once. He said, what's it easier to say? To say, man, your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he was basically saying that when I prayed for forgiveness, I also paid for healing and restoration. In one, swell, in, one, in one fell swoop, I took care of both of those things in the cross and in my body. I paid for those infirmities. And so after that scourging that was given for our healing, they take Jesus up. He's bleeding. If you've watched The Passion of the Christ, you can get that image in your head. He's bleeding. He's been beaten beyond recognition, the Scripture says. And They take him into the praetorium, which is a place where the guards hung out. And they privately brought him there just so they could mock him because it was rumored that he was the king of the Jews. And this is why they actually made, they made it in mockery, a sign that said the king of the Jews to hang above his cross. They made it in mockery, but it was actually the truth. 
He was not only the king of the Jews, he was, he was the king of the whole world, but they mocked him because the Romans believed that they were the king over the Jews, that Caesar was king. Matter of fact, even whenever, whenever Pilate was, was questioning them, he said, would you have Barabbas or would you have Jesus? They said, we have, they said, this is your king. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. They rejected their king. They rejected their king. And many of us, I think, we reject our king. We reject who Jesus needs to be in our lives as Lord and Savior. But see, he, he stretches out his hands to us in the cross and we look to this and as they're doing this, they blindfold him and we read they begin to spit on him. They begin to beat him. They begin to strike him with rods. They pull out his beard in tufts and they cannot get anything out of him. They're trying, they're trying to do this and they're saying, hey, prophesy to us, Jesus. Who was it that hit you? Not only could he have told them who it was that hit them, he could have incinerated them right there. God, if he was angry enough, could incinerate you and I at any time. He could bring an end to this whole thing. He could have ended them when they mocked him. They mocked God. But what does he do? The scripture says he opens not his mouth. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. They tried to provoke him. They sped on him. The son of God, trying to get a reaction out of him, and they couldn't do it, so they said, you know what? Let's take it a little step farther. They put a purple robe on him and begin to bow down and mock him. And they went over, and one man, maybe two, they go over and they take a, 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 a bunch of thorns, and they begin to weave these thorns together, thorns that would have had been two inches long. And they took this, and they made that crown of thorns, and they placed it upon his head, and they pressed it down into his head so that he began to bleed all down his head. But see, it was pressing so deep into his head that it would have caused swelling, and it would have caused pain and pressure, and even bleeding, internal bleeding, bleeding around his brain in the area of his mind. See, the second thing that I want you to put in your notes is that on that cross, Jesus wore the crown of thorns for our peace. Jesus wore the crown of thorns for our peace. And thorns always represent the curse in the Bible. As soon as sin entered the world, Jesus said you're going to work, or God said you're going to toil and work the land. He said, but it's just going to yield thorns and thistles for you. It's a, it's a symbol of the curse. And if you read in Deuteronomy 28, the curse that Jesus became on the cross for us so that he could redeem us from the curse and release the blessing of God on our life. If you read Deuteronomy 28, it lists so many things that are under the curse. But specifically, it says in Deuteronomy 28, verse, verse 65 and 66, it says that there is confusion under the curse, an anxious heart or anxiety. There is anguish of soul and there's your life hanging in doubt before you. It says you shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. That's a part of the curse. And we see that running rampant throughout our world right now, don't we? We see that curse infecting people's hearts, infecting people's souls. But see, Jesus took that crown on his head and it was placed over his mind because where you and I lose our peace, we lose it in our minds. This is where we begin to lose our peace. This is where we begin to worry. This is where we have anxiety. And Jesus began to take that torture, that pressure, that anxiety upon his head and upon his mind for you. And some of you all right now, before coronavirus ever even started, forget coronavirus, before that, you were already going nuts in your mind. 
You were already not at peace. You were already afraid of death and already afraid of sickness, already afraid of your future, afraid of failure and torment day and night. And Jesus does not want you living that way. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. See, Jesus did not just die so that you could go to heaven one day. Jesus died so that you could have peace right now. In John 14, Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, my peace I leave with you. He said, Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And he said, This peace that I'm giving you, it's not as the world gives. You know, sometimes people do have emotional issues. They have chemical imbalances. And we're not totally against medicine or anything like that. We're not totally against somebody getting therapy. These things can maybe be helpful in in certain circumstances. But what you got to understand is that there is a peace that this world cannot give no matter what it puts on it, no matter what kind of medicine, no matter what kind of therapy. At the end of the day, Jesus is the only one that can give the kind of peace that we need in its fullness. And he says, I give you a peace that this world cannot give. He promised us in Isaiah 26, 3, that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. And we need that perfect peace where during these times we keep our minds stayed upon Jesus Christ and we recognize every time that fear, every time that worry tries to settle into our minds, we recognize that Jesus took that chastisement. He took that crown of thorns for our peace. And just as I said at the beginning, I think it's so interesting that the coronavirus literally means crown is bringing sickness into our world and it is bringing such anxiety and such fear but let me tell you something Jesus's crown of thorns is more powerful than that crown of that virus that is infecting our minds and infecting our bodies and infecting our world he paid for our peace he paid so that we could make it through this and come out stronger than ever before he took that anguish so that you and I could be set free in our mind thirdly in your notes Jesus went on and he goes to the cross and when he's there He takes the nails for our sin. That's number three. Jesus took the nails for our sin. See, they made Jesus leave that place, the praetorium, after they had mocked him and they had made a cross for him. And they made him carry that cross as he was bleeding out up Golgotha's hill. And once he got to the top, they took nails, they laid him out on the cross, and they nailed them to his hands and feet. Now what they would do is, once they nailed your hands and feet, and honestly they would say that it really probably wouldn't put it in your hand because uh, the Romans would call the hand from the elbow to the fingertips and sometimes whenever they shook your hand, that's why they'd grab you by the forearm. And what they would do is they would, they would, they would nail it right here in your wrist between, so, that, so that when you hung down it wouldn't pull and tear through your hand because your weight is there the whole time. And they would give you just a little bit of give in your knees, some bend in your knees before they nailed your feet to the cross so that during it you could push up and suffer a little bit longer. Crucifixion was a drawn-out process. You didn't die from blood loss. You didn't die from pain and suffering. You ultimately died. Well, you did die. Suffering was a part of it. But what you ultimately died for, for was your weight would push down and you would begin to asphyxiate and suffocate. And you would die by suffocation. So they would leave a little bit of room for you uh, to push up. But see, the nails went in the hands and they went in the feet. The hands represent every action that you and I have ever done. The feet represent the paths that we walked in. See, Jesus took the nails in his hand to redeem every action that you and I have ever taken part in. He took the nails in his feet 
to redeem the path that we were walking on. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We turned everyone to our own way. We walked and we went places that we should have never gone in our lives. But yet he took the nails and the pain in his feet to correct our path and put us back on his path. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, we read it earlier. It says, but he was wounded. Literally, the Hebrew word is kalal. It means that he was pierced through. You can get on Bible Hub and look all this up. I'd never lie to you about a, about a Hebrew word. But it literally means he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised. The, the Hebrew word is daka. He was crushed for our iniquities. The nails brought freedom from everything that we've ever done wrong. Every line we've ever crossed with God, every line we've ever crossed with anybody else, he's saying, I was, taking that, I was taking that punishment so that you could be forgiven of every wrong thing that you've ever done. Every wrong thing that you've ever done. You know, in the Old Testament, whenever a debt was paid in full, they would take a nail and they would nail that debt to the door in order to say this is paid in full, it's done. In other words, Jesus took those nails in order to say that your debt, what you owed, is now paid in full. You don't owe anybody because when God forgives, He doesn't forgive and say, yeah, but I'm going to hold it against you and bring it up again later. No, He forgives in such a way that He says, I cast it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. He puts it out of His remembrance so that you don't have to wait, stand up under the weight of that pressure, of that guilt, of that shame. But see, so many people, see, they know that they're forgiven in Christ, but they still carry guilt and they still carry shame from what they're done. I believe that Jesus, when he gives forgiveness, he doesn't just want you to know in your mind that you're forgiven. He wants you to experience a clean conscience. He wants you to be set free from the guilt and the shame that Satan would try to accuse you of and bring upon your life. In Hebrews 9, 14, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience? from dead works to serve the living God. He takes the stain of guilt and shame in your conscience and he takes it away and he sets you free in order to bring you peace so that you can know everything that you've done has been forgiven. It's been wiped away. You've been given a clean slate. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are not who you used to be. He wants you free from those things today and he took the nails so that you could be free from it. Lastly, number four, Jesus took the spear for our broken heart. And at the ninth hour, he breathed his last. And sometimes they would hang for days, and mercifully they would, they would snap the legs so they could quit pushing up to breathe. They were surprised because they didn't think that he would die that quick, and what a what a Roman guard did was a Roman guard came at that moment and, he, and he, he comes up and he takes a spear and he pushes it into the side of Jesus and he pushes it up under his rib and at that moment they were trying to make sure that, that he was dead and they pierced his heart and it says in the scripture that when they pierced his heart that blood and water began to flow out. And what that represents is that Jesus' heart had been crushed. It had, it, had, it had ruptured and blood and water was flowing out and what that reveals to us is that Jesus did not just die of blood loss or anything else, but he literally died of a broken heart. And Jesus took that spear in the side for my broken heart, for your broken heart. And I, I tell you, so many people that we deal with and you deal with on a pastoral level, what you find out is that people are broken. People are hurting. They've been through loss. They've been through suffering. They've been through divorce. They've, they've got a wayward family member. 
They're dealing with addiction. They're dealing with all sorts of different sufferings. Maybe, maybe even now it's a financial issue, and in some ways your, your, your business or something that you put so much hope in, it seems like, man, it's just coming. It's crumbling before you, and, you, and you've got a broken heart from the things that you've been dealing with, and Jesus wants you to understand that he suffered a broken heart so that he could heal yours. Jesus wants to heal our broken heart and bring restoration in our lives. Proverbs 17, 22, it says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. See, Jesus experienced our pain. He experienced our brokenhearted. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. He wants to bind up your wounds. He wants to heal your broken heart. And see, at this moment in history, when the cross is happening, when Jesus is on the cross, everything, all the powers of the universe are converging in a moment of time. And humanity did its work by revealing the evil in our own hearts as we took Jesus to the cross and we crucified him. We were the ones who ultimately took Jesus to the cross and crucified him. And Jesus is doing his work because he's choosing to lay down his life, the just for the unjust, the one who was holy and worthy for the ones who were unholy and unworthy. He, he became our substitute in taking on our sins. And God the Father is at work in displaying his love for humanity and his justice for sin. And one thing that I want you to understand about God the Father is God sent his son not because he was angry at you. He sent his son because he loved you and he saw you lost in your sin, cut off from him, destined to an eternity, eternity uh, apart from him, and he sent his son. And the scripture says that God was in Christ on that cross. The Father was receiving his own punishment for sin in Christ so that the world might be reconciled to him. And you see everything converging at once. You even see the powers of darkness converging in this moment because more than anybody, Satan wanted Jesus dead. Satan was planning from the beginning, trying to figure out. He was influencing the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. He was influencing them, putting thoughts in Judas's mind because ultimately he wanted Christ dead. He wanted to put an end to his ministry. He wanted to bring all of that to an end. And here's my fifth point, is that Jesus suffered the death of the cross to defeat the powers of darkness. Jesus suffered the death of the He said, that does not look like defeat, Pastor. What are you talking about? How can a man hanging on the cross defeat spiritual powers that we cannot even see? Here's what it says in Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15. I want to read it in the Passion Translation. It said, He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. Our sins our stained soul, he deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon, and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. I love that. See, he made a public spectacle of Satan. Now, how did he do that? Satan thinks in terms of legal rights. 
And when you and I sinned against God, when we rebelled against God, what we did is we were essentially saying, God, we don't want your ways. We'll turn ourselves over to another power. And Satan is the accuser of the brethren who accuses, before, accuses us before God night and day. And he comes to say, you know what? They've sinned against you. They've done wrong. They've sinned against you. I have legal access to hold them in bondage. I have legal access to their family. I have legal access to enslave them to this sin, to give them fear of death, to bring torment into their soul because, God, they've sinned against you. They have rebelled against you. And when this man, Jesus Christ, came on the scene, see, they knew who he was, but they didn't know the wisdom of God. They didn't fully know what was going on. And Satan was freaking out. All the demons were saying, we know you're the Holy One of God, but have you come to torment us before the time? They're confused about what's going on. And all Satan can think is, well, usually when things go awry, all I do is bring sickness and death and destruction, so maybe we should try to destroy him too because it looks like he's turning our world upside down. But see, he had no legal access to Jesus. Jesus committed no sin. He did no wrong. He hurt no person. Satan had no legal access to his life, but God the Father handed him over to see what Satan would do with him, and Satan took him and tortured him and beat him and nailed him to the cross, put the crown of thorns on his head and inflicted death upon him even though he was not deserving of death because the wages of sin is death. But we're looking at a man that had never sinned and when he died on that cross and breathed his last, it was the most frightening day in history for the powers of darkness because they realized on that moment when they crucified and killed and brought death upon a man that was not worthy of death because he was sinless, everything reversed. And the grip that he had on us, his legal right to us was broken in that instant. Everything was reversed. We got put in Christ and now Satan no longer has the power against us. He has nothing that he can hold against us. Our debt has been cleared. He's nailed it to the cross and when he did it, he made a public spectacle of Satan. He's saying, no longer are they in your chains, but now you're in my chains. And when they enforce the victory of the cross of Jesus Christ, when they enforce the victory of the blood in their life, they're going to experience freedom and you're never going to be able to touch them again. Now let me tell you something, Satan still works to keep a hold of us. He still looks for your authority. He tries to get you to believe him. He tries to get you to not believe in this cross, to not enforce the victory of the cross. And we're in spiritual warfare in order to enforce what Jesus has done in our life. But see, it starts with something very simple. And it starts with you simply receiving the gift of salvation that Jesus offers. And Jesus is just saying, look, I've, I, I've, I've done all these things for you. I went to the cross. I took the stripes on my back for your healing. I took the nails in my hand for your sin. I took the crown of thorns on my head for your peace. I went to the cross to set you free from the powers of darkness. And I want to heal your broken heart. I want to bring joy. I want to bring peace into your life. And right now we need that more than ever. We need to quit focusing on that crown of the coronavirus. And we need to start focusing on the crown of Jesus Christ that he wore, that crown of thorns where he says he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And I want to confess right now this week, the rest of my life, every day, especially in times of difficulty, in times of hard circumstances, that Jesus remains to be King of kings and Lord of lords, and that he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has defeated the powers of darkness. So what I want to do is I want us to receive communion together. And as we do, I want us to pray. And listen, here's the thing. If you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now is a good time. The world around us is being shaken and 
even though I don't believe God is sending these things, I do believe, like I've said before, He is using these things to wake us up. It's not that He wants to hurt people, but man, sometimes the only thing that can turn us to the Lord is, 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 is fearful and frightening things. He wishes it weren't that way, but, but if you can hear His voice now, I'm begging you, I'm urging you, listen to it and turn. And when we take communion, whether you have the elements or not, I want you to, to pray with us. Because you can receive this by faith. This is just, this is just a sacrament. It's a physical representation of a, of a heavenly reality. His body that was broken for us. In His body, He received those stripes. And that blood was shed on that cross so that you and I could overcome. That we could have forgiveness. That we could have healing. So I want you to just take it. Prepare it. We're going to pray together. I want you to pray a prayer with me. So Lord, we just pray right now. We look to that cross. Lord Jesus, on that cross, you took my sins. And I confess my sin to you, Lord, right now. I repent of sin. And I turn from the powers of darkness, Lord, and I choose to walk in the light as you are in the light. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would enforce the victory of your cross in my life over all of the powers of darkness. Break every yoke of bondage and addiction, Lord, in my life. Break it, Lord, for the people that are listening. Break every chain in their life right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, as an act of faith, we, we ask that you would bless this. Your body was broken for us. You received the stripes for our healing. And Lord, we receive that healing in our bodies and in our minds. And Lord, we pray for healing to be released throughout our nation, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, and physically, Lord, from any sickness or disease. God, would you release healing, we pray, God, in Jesus' name, because you paid the price for it. Lord, we thankful, we're thankful for your body, and we receive it right now in Jesus' name. said as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me take the cup of his blood the blood of the new and everlasting covenant he took those nails in his hand that, that crown of thorns on his head and as the blood dropped that blood was for your redemption it was for your forgiveness God we are thankful Lord God that in this moment as we receive this by faith shame and guilt and condemnation is being lifted off people Lord they're they're experiencing the fullness of your forgiveness and Lord we confess our sin to you right now Lord we repent of the wrong paths that we've walked in, Lord. We repent of the things that we've said, the actions that we've done, God, that were against you. We turn to you, Lord, from our sin, and we thank you for this blood, Lord Jesus, that washes us from all sin. Receive it. Amen. I pray that this word today would saturate your soul and your heart and that you would take it and you would med meditate on it the rest of this week. Prepare your hearts for God to do something in your life and in your family's life and be in prayer because right now in the midst of this, I'm telling you, God is up to something, but we need to be open to it. We need to be open to what God is doing. So we're praying for you. We pray that God is doing something amazing in your life, even in these difficult circumstances. I want you to understand, if you need anything, please get in touch with us. Give us a call. If, if, if you pray to prayer, you want to talk to me about salvation, you can email me and I'll call you. My email address is clay at cohcf.org. I would love to speak with you. I'd love to talk to you.
We want you to know that we're available to you. We want you to know that just because we can't uh, connect here corporately, that we still are here for you to pray with you. If you need somebody to talk to or reach out to during this time, don't totally disconnect. Get involved in a prayer group or, or something like that that we've got going on. But, but be sure and check in with us, especially if you need something or you're dealing with anything. We want you to know that we love you so much that Jesus loves you. We want you to keep your eyes focused on him. And we'll be with you and we'll see you this week. God bless you all.